Hey, make sure you order your Coaching You videos, 15 videos, 10 NBA coaches, best content we've ever had. Go to 2018.coachingyou.tv, $249 for 15 videos. Order today. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. I wanted to announce a new partnership between Coaching You and Inner Zone Sports. You know, for a long time, one of the intangibles by coaches and athletes is team chemistry. And it's a major factor all the time in whether a team has success or failure. When the folks from Interzone came to me at Coaching You and said, we can even help your team, I was all ears. And what we did is we took a quick assessment, two to four minutes each person, and we were stunned by what we found out about ourselves and our team. You owe it to yourself to find out what Interzone can do for your team. It's the simplest and fastest and most accurate software available to measure team chemistry. I highly recommend, without any reservation, the use of Interzone with your team, whether you are a middle school, high school, college, or professional team, to help take you to the next level. For further information, go to coachingyoulive.com slash Interzone. That's I-N-N-E-R-Z-O-N-E. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast, and uh, this is the coach, Brendan, sir, and, uh, you know, a special edition today of our Coaching You podcast, uh, as you saw in our newsletter on Tuesday, we uh, we are in, uh, you know, we're still in a grieving mourning period in Baton Rouge here over one of our former players, Wade Sims, uh, who was senselessly uh, shot and killed last Friday. Uh, just going to a concert like college kids do. Uh, as I said in our, you know, blog blog in our newsletter the other day, one of the kindest, good kids you ever want to meet. Also on the court, toughest, smartest, most competitive guy you ever want to coach. And all comes from his mom, who's a superstar woman, Faye, and his dad, Wayne, who was a great player for Dale Brown and a champion in his own right. And, Frankly, Wayne uh, was probably one of the physically one of the toughest guys to ever play here at LSU, and and it's obviously that he had his son. His son had his DNA. Uh, 
but I'll tell you, uh, it's broken us up. Uh, but I wanted to just, you know, deliver a message today to our podcast listeners around the world, frankly, in that no matter who you're coaching, the power of coaching and the influence and, and what we have to do in, in these troubling times of terrible political correctness and things like that, uh, that you're a, you're a voice of reason, you're a hope that's out there. And I've enlisted my one of my mentors and longtime friends, the Hall of Famer, Dale Brown, uh, you know, who's just, you know, was Shaquille's coach and was Wayne Sims' coach and also the coach of so many other great, great players here that have gone on to play in the NBA. This is a guy that's reached out and been a civil rights champion for years and has been a prison reform and things that like that trying to help. I just feel so deeply. And I asked when I talked to Dale the other day to help to console myself, uh, uh, I thought about that this might be good for coaches. It's, you know, I ask, I, I deliver an opening statement and then Dale rolls as only Dale can. So hang in there, listen to the whole thing. I think you'll find it to be incredibly, incredibly encouraging and then I have a little message at the end. But uh, again, uh, I think it's important as we're in practice right now to think about coaching people. The great Dale Brown. Pass Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. FastModel has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Hey, welcome to another special edition of Coaching You Podcast with uh, our special guest today, the incomparable, incomparable Dale Brown. Welcome, Coach, again to our show. Thank you, Brandon. You know, uh, you and I spoke uh, the other day, uh, I, as I told you, I was awoken last Friday to a, uh, you know, a phone call from a buddy of mine on the West Coast and, you know, a coaching friend, David Patrick, uh, you know, Ben Simmons' godfather. And he, uh, you know, he's telling me how practice, I'm, I'm expecting him to tell me how practice is going at his new job at UCR. And I'm saying, uh, you know, how are you feeling? And he goes, oh, I'm sick. I'm just sick. And I'm saying, geez, man, you're a young guy. You shouldn't be sick coaching after one, two days of practice. He says, no, I'm sick about what happened. And I had no idea. It was 7.38 in the morning. I had no idea what he was talking about. And then he explained to me that what happened to our, uh, you know, friend Wade Sims, uh, you know. And, and you know, I, and, and all my 45 years of coaching, Dale, I had never had a player, I don't think, ever killed on me. 
I've had players pass. I've had players in car accidents and drownings and stuff, but I've never had anything like this. And uh, it shook me to my core because when I came to Baton Rouge, as I told you the other day, to interview with Johnny Jones to become the associate head coach at uh, LSU, the first three people I met were Wayne Sims, your former player, his wonderful wife, Faye, and their son, Wade, who was going to be a senior at University High School here in Baton Rouge. And uh, so they were my first people I met. And they're related to Johnny. And uh, and I was I got a chance to coach him his freshman year. And when you get to coach people, you get to make an impact in their life, and they make an impact in yours. Right. And, right. and so, you know, my whole purpose of coaching you now for the last, for years has been how can we change the world through coaching? And I know it's a people laugh at me when I talk about that. And, you know, but I mean that we have such an incredible role and you've helped me as a mentor to me uh, about the, the ability of coaches to influence. But when you have a situation like that, when we have the tremendous racial unrest that we have in our country, when we have black on black crime, when we have just hatred among political parties, our world is in such a terrible spot. And, and when we try to take these kids and coach them, uh, as our friend Don Yeager says, the only way you can ever achieve greatness is you have if you have great teammates and like-minded teammates and coaches. And and so I just felt that you were the only person I could really call upon to help me speak to our thousands and thousands of coaches, not just in the United States, but around the world, that are probably looking at the United States as just the greatest place in the world. But how can we keep having these senseless crimes here? Help me explain to them. I'm really glad you did call me, Brendan, because I want to start in chronological order where I started to learn it. None of this is a sob story. I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm not playing the harp, the violin, or anything else. But I was born in Minot, North Dakota on a freezing Halloween night, 1935. The Depression in its very beginning of the worst. Uh, I did not have a father. Two days before my beautiful mother went to deliver me, my her bio, her husband, my biological father, left her. And so he said, "What was he? What's he going back there for?" See, he jumps around too much. That deal. No, I want to take it in chronological order where mine got started. So, my mother had an eighth grade education. Grew up in a little place called Berthold on a farm. She had a child. She had. And I had two older sisters, 12 and 10 years older, and he abandoned them. And so she didn't know what to do. So she moved from the farm, moved into a one-room apartment above a bar and a hardware store, $12 a month. No toilet, no bath, no shower. We had to share it with people down the hall. I never slept in a bed for 21 years. My mother had a bed that pulled out from the wall. That's no sob story. But I never had, it was always a father. I spoke the other night at Dunham. The reason I spoke, not for a fee, they said it was a father-son banquet. I remember them having father-son banquets in North Dakota. I never went, never had a father. Nobody took me. But what I learned through sports was beyond anything I could ever repay. That's one of the reasons I loved doing what I was doing, coaching. And you don't think you can touch somebody? As a mentor, you can. That's a cop-out. 
I had a chip on my shoulder. I didn't trust the male image and what have you. And I tried, I'm not saying I became a savant, but I really did develop a, a technique to see the coaches really care about you. The ex-coach, and what I'm going to tell you, turned my life around today. And I do it all the time. I had been leaving a class in this Catholic school, and there was this mean old nun. And she couldn't hear. She'd hit you in the back of the head with a ruler, you know, no personality. Maybe she should have hit us in the back of the head, hit you on the hand. So walking out of the room, and the one guy said, what do you think of her? And I said, what I said was, I think she's a son of a bitch. Well, didn't never dream she'd hear because she always, she always had the volume down most of the time anyway. We get to the next class. There's a knock on the door. Now, it's the coach, the former coach. He happens to be, of all things, a mentor that I never dreamed I'd ever have. And I heard him say, is Dale Brown here? He'd won a state championship, this guy. I go out in the hall, and he said, what just happened in the last class? And I said, what do you mean? You know what I mean, Dale. What did you call a sister? I swore at her. Oh, that's what you said, swear at her? Now he's in my face. What did you call her? I didn't want to swear in front of the priest. And I said, I called her an SOB. That's the word you used, SOB? No. Well, what did you call her? Now he's in my face. and He's kind of got my shirt twisted up. So I had to say what I called her. Well, he didn't mean to maybe, but he kind of knocked my head against the locker. And his upper lip, his upper finger cut my lip. And I could feel blood. Now, yeah, typical man. I folded my fist, Brendan. I remember the day and stance and everything. I thought, as soon as he lets me go, he was a Catholic priest, Roman collar or not, I'm knocking him across the hall. And he starts to squeeze the back of my neck tight with his one hand, got my shirt, he finally lets my shirt go, then he squeezes my neck and he said, Dale Brown, I want to tell you something, man. You can really make something of your life. I love you, Dale. And he turned and walked down the hall. Now, Brendan, I, 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 70, 76 years ago, and I get emotional. Mm. I turned, I looked at him, and I say, that is the first man that ever told me he loved me. It just undressed me, and it did something to me. Then when he'd come to the games, he'd always stand by the water fountain. Mm-hmm. This guy, this guy, I could jump higher and faster and run quicker he just became a, a, a male. You can. There's kids. I needed somebody like him. I wasn't looking for him because I was too independent and defensive. Then the other lesson you can learn as a coach from what children can learn from a coach. Let me tell you what else I learned from him. And then we'll move on to the further line. This is not trying to be narcissistic in any form of the word. But I was the leading scorer in the history of North Dakota high school basketball. There's probably 22 people in the whole state of Louisiana, North Dakota. So that's not a very big accomplishment. Uh, I broke all the records in school. I broke the quarter mile. I was a captain of the football team. Uh, I was a student body president. I take my. You have to have an eligibility slip down to the office every Monday. Now we're a very small school. I think he lied the enrollment to get into class. Say we were going down to play the largest schools. Where Lute Olson was at Grand Forks, North Dakota and Roger Maris at Shanley High School. This is a big trip, man. So I, he's on the phone. I take my slip, throw it on his desk, and 
I'm not, uh, Dale, wait a minute. And he waves me back and he's talking. He said, okay, well, okay, Brendan, I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. He said, Dale, what is this? And he held up my eligibility slip. I said, that's my eligibility slip. He said, what time was this due? I said, one o'clock. He said, what's that? What time does what the clock say on my wall? I said, one fifteen. That's good. We've established this. You knew that was your eligibility slip, right, Dale? You made me say this. Yes, coach. You knew what time it was due. One fifteen, right? And you can tell time, right? Right. So you broke all three rules. He took the slip and he ripped them in all kinds, small pieces, threw them in the garbage can. Big shot, you ain't going on the trip. I'm going on the trip. So Friday, who's down in the driveway waiting to go? Dale Brown. Who cried as they drove off without me? He taught me a lesson. Now, I also in North Dakota, and then I'm going to get to Louisiana. North Dakota Indians, the Sioux, became friends with them. The problem that we have dates back into history. From 1607, this beautiful country, I've been in 90 countries. There is no greater place on earth, but this country will not last if we don't turn the, turn the car around. But from 1607 to the present time, there was 370 treaties that were ratified. You want to know why people are mad and killing and poverty? Listen to this. 370 treaties with the Native American Indians. The U.S. government proceeded to violate every, every, every provision in every one of them. That's a perfect record of shame. So what did we get out of it? They stuck them on reservations. What have we got on the reservations? Alcohol, drugs, suicide, rape, children with no fathers, uh, abused. We can go down the line. We've, now, we, we've perpetuated them by putting them. We've given them a long, a long, long trail of tears. They're the most cheated, neglected, abused, and forgotten people. I remember growing up, I heard the other damn Indians are lazy. Now nah, they weren't lazy. Sure, there's lazy whites, lazy blacks, lazy pinks, lazy women, lazy men. They just didn't have a chance. Now, our situation where it's gotten to now, I go back to 1972 when I came, never been to the South, did not have a good picture of the South. I remember James Clark, Selma Alabama, having a gun in his back, and I wrote a junior high school coach. I wrote him a letter. But I came down, and I met a man that I fell in love with, an athletic director. It was an ex-football coach, Carl Maddox, beautiful man. He said that I was going to be one of five assistants in this country and one of five head coaches in this country. So I come down for the interview, and everybody told me, don't come here, man alive, that's south. They, they got this, they got that. They're never going to be any good in basketball. It's a football place. So he had three men on the selection committee. One of them is still living, Ned Clark. <laughs> and the first man asked me a question, big southern gentleman with Coach Dale Brown, he said, why should we, why, he asked me, why we should hire you? We, we've never had any long periods of success here, fleeting moments of greatness with Bob Pettit and Pete Maravich. But why should we hire you? Why are you any different? And I gave the following thing. I said, sir, I'm not sure you should hire me at LSU because nobody's asked my philosophy. So let me tell you what my philosophy is. Now, I wasn't some cocky guy that had a job. I was, I, I was assistant of Washington State, and they offered me the head job. But I didn't want to stay. I, want, I would, would love to have this job, but I wanted to be truthful. And I said, so here's my philosophy. I promise you, I will recruit human beings first and basketball players second. Now, with that in mind, 
You could have possibly an all-black team. You could have an all-white team. You could have an all-foreign team, or you could have a combination of all of them, and blah, blah, blah. There were no cell phones at the time. I was going to a state tournament in Alexandria. My wife told me to call. Oh, I forgot, man. I'm about halfway up there, and I see a little town called Bunky. There's a drugstore. I pull into the parking lot, run in the drugstore. Do you have a telephone? A telephone booth. A nickel. I call my wife. I told her what happened. She said the following, Dale, 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 you will never get that job. She said, you'd have a better chance if you were a kamikaze pilot in the Japanese Air Force. You've just committed suicide. I said, no, I do. So to back it up, I was hired under the pretense, not to have, there was no numbers of blacks, whites, or what have you, but I was hired under the pretense to build a program. Well, there was, there was, LSU was the last base bastion of racism. Collis Temple was the only black basketball player on the team. Now, initially, things went went bad early. I got death threats on my life. Uh, my wife got obscene calls. Uh, uh, one night at 1 o'clock coming back from a, 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 a basketball game, I always checked my message. I went up and uh, terrible. I won't repeat the filthy words what they called me, but I'll tell you, I know where your grandma got. Your grandson sits in your daughter. They come to the game. They're dead sons of bitches. I went through that. Now, immediately, you can say, see, that's what all the white people are like. There are some sick white people, like they're sick black people. But do you know what I found out? That number was so small. That was like 10%. How they were embraced, how our players were embraced by by the fans and, how, and families and took them into their home. But the problems we have right now, how are we going to solve this? Now, I have a solution. I have, at least I have a, I think it's a solution. We have to understand. We have to be sensitive. Only thing we see are the murders. I can't tell you the number of beautiful black friends I have, from FedEx drivers to painters to uh, doctors at the university and head of the law school. It's Southern, whatever. Nicest people in the world. Yes. Are there criminal elements on both sides? Yes. But we have to understand this. Before, before before we can move, we have to have a dialogue. We cannot be afraid. Brendan, I'm not afraid to talk. I'm speaking from the heart. Now, the four old cliches we've used way too long are not the answer. Pills, prayers, police, and prison. No, that won't do it. There's nothing wrong with prayer. Are there, are there, are there some... Hurdles, yes, but let, let's talk about the past and then come into the future. Now and then the future can be. You grow up under this, and I'm not. I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to move from you have to move from victim to victory. And I know how to do it. African Americans have suffered through 250 years of slavery, 90 years of Jim Crow, 60 years of separate but equal, and 35 years of racist housing housing policy. Now, until we recognize that and admit it and sit down together, I'm so sick of partisan politics and turning on and this governor says this and this mayor says this and this senator does it. We have to talk to each other. We have to talk about the problem. What are the problems? The problems are, are hey, I've got, I've got, if I can pick up the phone right now and some of the most, Dr. Harry Edwards, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaquille O'Neal, 
all prominent blacks fighting. But we talk, we talk candid. Black people all over this nation, they fear the violent, dysfunctional behavior. It's made murder the number one death for all black males between the ages of 15 and 34. And sadly, 90% are killed by other blacks. Now, is that, is that all? No. What, what else we have to do? We, we, have to, we have to do this, not just talk about it. The other problems that perpetuate the black American, 75% of all births are out of wedlock. And nearly 70% of these children are growing up in a single-parent household. Education's another major problem. Less than 50% of black males from high school and 75% of crimes are committed by high school dropouts. Now, Martin Luther King, he had the answer. A man with great strength, he said, quote, If we are to change a system that needs change, it only happens through education, justice, and unity. As long as the mind is enslaved, the body can never be free. There isn't any emancipation proclamation, no civil rights bill that can bring about emancipation. We have to bring about our own emancipation proclamation. It starts with education. Is it being done? Yes, it is being done in this town. I know a bunch of people. I know Lyman White. I know Earl Hill. I know, I know Rudy Macklin. I know I can name you blacks that are, that are really and whites combining are really trying to do good, but we need we need to maybe clear up some other things. Um, is the build another prison? Is that going to be the answer? No, it's not going to be the answer. Absolutely, it's not going to be the answer. You know what the answer is? I'll tell you what it is. I'm watching television one night. Something like I got all the answers, and I don't. I have suggestions. I hope I turn into solving problems. I'm watching television one night, and I'm channel surfing crazy at night at one o'clock. I stop at this one channel. There's a man sitting on a prison bunk and a journalist in there with a camera. And I can give you the quote almost exactly. Mr. Mandela, and he was referring to Nelson Mandela. He said, I can spread my arms out and I can touch both these walls. He said, in three steps, I can walk to the end of your cell. He said, for 27 years, 27 years, you've been incarcerated. Ten of those years in this little cell. How is it not possible? How is it possible not to lose your insanity? How? The cameras go on Mandela with a very benevolent smile, Brendan. He said, there are two reasons why I didn't go crazy. Number one, God never left my side. And as soon as he said that, it paralyzed me. God never left my side. And I thought, hold on. You'd think he'd be, where are you, God? I hate you. Look what you've done to me. But God never left my sight. I saw, I saw the presence of God in Wayne, 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 Wayne's face home the other day. Now, was there a vision? No. Then, the next thing he said, and the second reason that I didn't go crazy, I had a commitment, the commitment in the deepest part of my marrow of my bones, that all of the black people of South Africa should be free. But before they can ever be free... They must be educated. They must be disciplined. And we must be respectful to one another. Well, shortly after that, he was released from prison. While he's being inducted as the president, I'm going to read this because I've got it in a little book. I stand here before you, as a, not as a prophet, but as a humble servant of the people. 
I've paid the price for forsaking some of life's pressures to give freedom to all of you black people. However, now, it's up to us. We can no longer continue to blame others. It's up to us. Discipline, education, we have to be respectful. And the secret, education is the most powerful tool you can use. Collis Temple, the first black athlete here, his dad and mom, C.B. Temple and Shirley Temple, they told me, teachers, tarred and feathered in Kentwood, Louisiana, put that out of your mind. Wouldn't you be bitter? I hate to say this, but I would. I wish I had the presence of a John Wooden or a Martin Luther King. I'm kind of a bull in a china closet. I've been fighting for my mama since I've been 10 years of age as a man. But I wish I had their, wish I had their feelings and their love and how they can hold themselves. I probably would have been dead had I grown up in the South in 1935. The other day I went in to get some blood work, Brendan. Two older black women, beautiful. I, I, they must have been 90, I swear. They looked like twins, and they were dressed so nice. They were sitting in a chair, and they didn't know who I was, and I didn't introduce myself. I said, well, good morning, ladies. Are you sure dressed? And I said, oh, well, that's what Mom always told us to do. And I said, you two look like t- twins. We are. We're sisters. How old are you? They were 90. I said, oh. I said, tell me about growing up in Louisiana in 90. Oh, coach. And they weren't mean. Oh, coach. It was really so hard. And some of the things they told me, seriously, I could have honestly cried right there on the spot. So we need to have dialogue. The appalling, the appalling silence and indifference of good people won't make this world a better place to live in. Now, it's not, it's not any, I'm retired. What am I doing this for? You know why I'm doing it? I found out through history, the greatest ally, the greatest ally of evil has always been silence. So whoever may listen to your program, have the courage to stand up for what you know is right. And there's, there's a lot of good, we have a lot of good going on in this community, but we never see it. The partisan politics, final thing, and then I'll shut up if you have any more questions. <laughs> let, let, let's go back to the senatorial meeting. I don't belong to any party. I don't belong to any party, period, none. When I watched that deal about the Supreme Court justice and everything, Mm-hmm. I was wondering, are these senators, are they trying out for the Jerry Springer show? I mean, they, they were like, what they were, they were, they were trying to get, they were more concerned with getting elected than to getting anything else done. Now, my mama, I'll never forget, a little 10-year-old boy, I can remember this like yesterday. Dale, she, I want you to know this, she said, we all are God's children. She said, and you have to treat everybody like that. And a little poem that I was taught by her, Dale, she was talking about this little poem. We have to understand this, because you're kind of chocolate brown or black, and my color varies with the light. Why in the world should color matter when deciding what's right? So what I go to, what do we have to do? Now, talk is cheap. I can move anybody talk. In 1780, Samuel Adams, Samuel Adams warned us in 1780, if ever time should come when vain and aspiring men, now women too, in Congress, shall possess the highest seats in government, our country will stand in need of of its experienced patrons to prevent our ruin. Mm. 
Well, we've got <laughs> way too many politicians. They're thinking about the next election. Courage, it takes courage to unite. Courage is the first of all human qualities, because without that, there'll never be any change. You've got to have courage to speak up. Um, and I hope this beautiful young man's death, I hope this just isn't something in a week or two light, two weeks, oh, it's going to be forgotten, and where are we going to go from here? But here's what we have to do. We have to find these children that don't have a father. Get them involved. And I know people are doing that. I know the leagues, and I, but they're really. But we need more state support and federal support, and not just do it one night and quit. Um, I'm mentoring several people right now. Okay, they are absolute delights to mentor. They were defensive at first. I'm not getting paid. I'm not, I'm not publicizing it, advertising it. The thing Shaquille called me the other day, five thirty in the morning. Could just emotional, emotional about Wayne, his teammate. He was going to try to get to the funeral and tell Wayne and about his son. But the thing that I know, the way we're doing things, you want to do things right. Okay, you coaches listening out there, you want to do things right. Here's what you do. Years ago, Boston Celtics, Boston, excuse me, the Boston Red Sox, Old Fenway Park. They used to have an ecumenical meeting every year with all the businessmen. It was about brotherhood and all that. And they brought priests and rabbis and, you know, whoever it was, Protestants, the whole group. They brought him in and they talked. And so it's the general manager of the Red Sox. Was it O'Connell? You know, was that his name, O'Connell, Brendan? Uh, you know, I'm not sure I was a Yankee fan. I want to say it's O'Connell, but anyway, that's not as <laughs> well. He was the last one to speak, and he said, you know, Y'all here talking about brotherhood and teamwork and all that stuff. He said, uh, you know what I suggest we do? We go look out them big bay windows over there. A few miles down the road, there's a building called the Boston Garden. He said, we're talking about unity and brotherhood. We should go down there and talk to them about it. He said, you know why? He said, they have won more NBA championships than any, any team. You know why? I'll tell you why. He said, they got, they got blacks on the team. They got whites on the team. He said, they got all kinds of people on the team. They got Protestants on the team. They got blah, blah, blah. And he said, they got Catholics on the team. And by the way, they're coached by a Jew. <laughs> now, maybe we should learn from them. Well, maybe we should learn from, if you're going to get all defensive, you're going to see those fools arguing and shouting at each other. Hey, you can, you can, you can, Rudy Macklin and I, who's one of the nicest young men, we talked last night for a long time. It was one of the most delightful talk. Now we talk candid. He's one of my former players. I'm his coach. He can say anything he wants. And we have to learn to, without being disagreeable and shouting or, we also we also understand this. Ninety um, percent of the people that I know, and I that's a nebulous number. They're not racist. I know a, a huge number of law enforcement, some of the nicest. Love. Now, are there wacko law officers? Yes. Are there wacko coaches? Yes. Are there wacko priests? Yes. But they're a small percentage. They've got to be pulled out. There can't be. You get stopped because you're black. And that happens. And if you don't believe it happens, it does happen. That's got to end. We've got to treat people right. Martin Luther King, one of my favorite quotes from him, he said, um, 
Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So it is it possible to do? Yeah, but you know what happens? There's going to be a lot of people listening. There's going to be a lot of calls you're going to get maybe in letters and people say it's a good job, a nice interview and everything. But we forget our attention span is so very little. And I'm just hoping and praying that, um, and I may be emotional right now because of Wade and Wayne and Faye, but it's just, it doesn't have to happen. Um, many civilizations, and I read a lot. Don't have to, don't have to recruit anymore, Brendan, so I can read a lot. <laughs> many civilizations, through many civilizations, have risen through a dominant position throughout history. Some rose quickly, some rose slowly. But without exception, they fell. Why did they fall? When the family unit collapsed. That was, that was the family at home. Mm-hmm. It was the family of government. It was the family of business. So how do you expect these children? Where are they, who, who, who's going to raise them? They got a dad in prison. They got a mother on drugs that's gone. I mean, thank God that. Uh, you know, I, I had, I just, I had a great mother, my biological father. I probably saw him twice in my whole life. You want to know how many minutes? Probably maximum, maybe five, one time, 10, the other time. Wow. Never told me he was sorry. Now I've forgiven him. He's moved on. He's died and everything, but we need, we need to call, call an ace and ace. That's why I love Sigmund Freud, the father of modern psychology, and William James considered America's greatest philosopher. This is the best thing I hope somebody can get out of here. They said, the greatest kindness you can give a friend is the truth. We've got to talk truth. And even if you don't agree, we can talk back and forth instead of hiding or pretending. Or, and where are the people talking up? You know, everybody gets comfortable. Everybody gets Oh, uh, you, you're making ten million dollars. You're going to complain about the NCA or racism? You probably know. So we go back again, and I don't know how much time you got. And I I don't want to sound like I'm a philosopher because I'm uh, just a work in progress myself all the time. But but love is the greatest force on force on force on earth. How you can love somebody you don't know anything about them? Um, if if you don't communicate, if you just stay out in your little old area. And you see crimes in the paper. You're going to see a lot of crimes. You're going to think, well, so many black people are criminals. That's a small percentage, but we've got to stop it. But what is it? It's pretty simple. Love, by far, is the greatest force on earth. It's far more enduring and much more powerful than hatred. It's the law of human life. As certain as gravity, Brendan, to live life fully, we've got to... Learn to use things and love people and not love things and use people. Love is life. And if you miss love, you miss life. Now, when the power of love overcomes the power of the world, then and only then are we going to find peace, love, and happiness. No man, no man, as I told you, ever told me he loved me until that guy did. You know what I do now? Every chance I get, every chance I get to tell a player, I had, a, I had a coach in the SEC, an African-American coach. We're, we're the final four one year. He says, Dale, don't get mad at me. He said, I'm going to say something to you. He said, you always used to say you love me. And I thought, damn, is that gay or what? And he said, now I understand. 
He said, I'm saying it to everybody. Hmm. Well, that's great. Uh, I think uh, I remember a song years ago by Lou Rawls. Number one hit was love brings so much joy. It causes so much pain. And it's a mystery that no one can explain. But the truth is the true love. If you don't have love, then you have a life without joy, peace, friendship, unity, or spiritualism. Spiritualism. And then final thing. Do you think that these politicians, and I'm not indicting all of them, but I'm indicting the fools. Yes. I hope, I hope my telephone call is recorded and they'll take this into the Senate room and call me in front of a Senate here. The fools that got up there with a closed mind. It's stupid that they can't communicate. We have to have the ability to communicate. Uh, Dick Gregory, I knew him for years. He told me they were sitting in the civil rights movement in Atlanta, early civil rights movement. And he said, Martin Luther, long, big 25-foot mahogany table, Martin Luther's king sitting with his arms folded at the other end, not saying one thing. They were arguing back and forth. What we got to do, we got to burn things down. We got to do, we got to argue here. We got to do it. He they were arguing with themselves. And finally, after about 40 minutes, he stood up, he leaned over and put his hands on that table. Stop, 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 stop. Listen to me. You all are headed the wrong direction. He said, there's two things that we have to do. This is from Dick Gregory. He said, we have to learn to love. He said, and number two, he said, you, the things you guys are talking about are senseless. He said, do we want to be equal to or superior to the white man? The answer is education. Remember that. Well, go back. Wow. I don't have uh, how many guys in prison have education. I'll give you an example. Are we driving around with the warden at Angola one time? I took the team up there a couple of times so they could see what it was like and let them sit on electric chair and go to death row. You got to stay out of this place. And they knew a lot of guys up there. I'll never forget. I said to the warden, how many guys you got up here? And he told me at that time it's much smaller. And I said, what's the average education up there? Brendan, you may get it right on the head. What do you think? I'm going to put you on now. Don't cut this off in your program. What do you think the average education is of a prisoner at that time at Angola? Back at that time, probably sixth grade. Fifth grade. Now, before we assassinate and electrocute and kill them, let's understand where they came from. They came from no father. They came from dysfunctional families. They came from poverty. So the whole thing, until we really want to do something about it, most people are afraid to talk up. I'm not, because I'm, I'm not running for office. I'm not, I don't, I, and I've always been this way because I learned it from my mother. I saw when you don't talk up, and this story may bore you and it may be going too long, so you say, Dale, shut up. we got to get in this program. <laughs> Here, here's where I saw it. Two things I saw. Little boy had to come home for lunch. My mother is crying and wringing her hands. What's wrong, Mama? There's no man in the house. I got to be the man at 10. She said, the landlady came down here. She said, you're brat. He's out in the hall. I used to take mitts and fold them up with tape and shooting hot water pipes in the hall. And she, he's scuffing up the linoleum out in the hall. That little brat does it again. You're going to have to find a new place to live. 
Dale, I don't know what, before she gets out of her mouth, I ran down the hall, four security, I knocked on the door. She had a little peek hole and I opened it. You leave my mother alone. Do you understand? And then I walked down the hall, scuffling up that <laughs> damn linoleum with my heels as hard as I could. Second time, months later, I came home. There was a welfare worker. I can see her. She had this black dress on, intimidating my mother. The first thing I remember when I got in, mom had soup ready for me. She said, you know, Mrs. Brown, do you realize what Ward County Welfare does for you? We give you $42.50 a month. What are you doing with the money? Well, last month, you spent an extra $12 on Dejatellis. I didn't know what Dejatellis was. It was a heart medicine. And she said, what are you doing with all your money? She said, and then she, just like a dog, she slaps her hand towards me. Can't he work? My mom is kind of crying. She's, well, he, he has got a paper route. She go get your purse. She made my mother, to me, go get her purse. Went through her purse and put, seeing if she had any money. And I remember sitting there thinking, never again, boy, will anybody ever hurt my mother if there's ever another injustice done. This is it. I'm 10 years old. I'm going to stand up for what's right. Now, where else did I learn my philosophy? My mother was the most spiritual woman I've ever met. She never drank. She never smoked. She never dr- took a drug. She never talked about another human being. She never talked bad about the man that left her. Every Sunday, she'd go to a little, come home from an event at the church with her best friend. This is mine at North Dakota. This is 19... 19- I'm 10 years, this is 1945, war just got over. Her best friend was a black woman. She didn't tell me she was a black woman. She she didn't she didn't have her there. Because she, she was a member of the church. She brought her home. She didn't tell me I had like black. She didn't tell me anything. This woman was the sweetest woman. So Edgar Guest is my favorite poet. And he sums up how we should live our lives. Uh... You know, and I, I got, I got he, he also, by the way, I'm a big copycat um, from John Wooden. It was his favorite poet, but uh, it, it's about uh, learning lessons. Um, if, if you want, if you want to let me see it be done, you know, your tongue too fast may run. And it's, it's the lesson. I told John Wooden just before he died, as I was leaving his place, I knew he was going to die shortly, and said, you remind me of Edgar Guest. I'd rather see a lesson than to hear one any day. I'd rather you walk with me than to merely show the way. The eye's a better teacher and more willing than the ear. The counsel you're giving may be very fine and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. In the 13th century, St. Francis of Assisi, said we should preach the gospel every day, and if necessary, use words. So it's such a simple, simple, simple thing. Why can't we sit down? I, I've, I've got a friend. This is interesting. I've got a friend. He's a friend. I went to Auschwitz and Buchenwald. I almost not, didn't, get, didn't get in a fight with him, but I wanted to choke him. They didn't, they didn't do that to the Jew. And this is a friend of mine. I said, what do you mean they didn't do it? I was in Auschwitz. I went to Doc. Don't tell me. Oh, that was exaggerated. This guy's not. If you met this guy, he's not a mean guy. But he's brainwashed or something. We've got to tell the truth. 
Yes, there are poor whites. I was one of them. All my clothes smelled the mothballs. We got them at the rummage sale. I put popcorn boxes in the bottom of my shoes, but I never felt sorry for myself. So is this just going to be another wasted program? People are going to hear it and one day, hey, that was pretty good. That Who's that guy that uh, Brendan had on? That was pretty good. But, uh, yeah, okay, we'll do something. They yawn and go do something else. You know, I hope it is. You know, Dale, uh, you know, and I, I really, you know, when this happened last week, you know, you were, you know, the first person that I wanted to reach out to because, uh, you know, my friend and your friend, your former player and assistant coach, Johnny Jones, uh, you know, was so close. And, uh, and, and, it, and it just, when things happen to your friends, you really, you, you worry about them sometimes more than if they happen to you yourself. And, nope. and I think, uh, you know, what I always tell people about coaching is in all the years I've been coaching, I've never coached basketball. Mm. I've coached people. And you're the same yep. way. Uh, yes. You know, the feelings that you have for all of your players. And Rudy Macklin, I coached in the NBA. And Shaq, mm. I've been friends with for years. And, you know, Stanley Roberts, you know, these guys, they, they, they love you to death. And, and if I can say anything to our coaches, to take what Dale has and, and to use it as a blueprint, because... Uh, this man is a legend, uh, but he's a legend because he has spoken the truth every time he turns around. And as coaches, you know, we want our players to be coachable. We want them to be truthful, and we want the same out of you. Uh, so, uh, Dale, I can't thank you enough. I, I want to leave our coaches with this. Brendan, you... can I make a final quote after you're done with the coach? Sure, absolutely. As As I go forward... Uh, I want you to to understand as you coach this season a couple of things in mind. As Dale said, I want you to love your players, to serve them, and to care for them like they're your own. The best part of having a team is they're a part of an extended family of yours. And as one of my former players, Doc Rivers, said this summer at Coaching You, uh, one of the greatest things, you know, I always say my players have learned, you know, I've learned way more from my players than they ever learned from me. And Doc was, a, Doc was another example of it. He said, he said, I learned something from coaching my son. And I now know that every player that I have, I coach every year, I need to coach them like they are my son or they are your daughter, to love them like your son or daughter. Don't treat them anything but like that. But Dale, why don't you bring us home now, brother? Well, all the people... And I was one of them. You might have been one. There's a lot of us. You know, you you, you, you got to be black. You you, you got to be Hispanic. There's a lot of poor white people too. Mm-hmm. Key to moving from victim to victory. You can't be a victim all the time. Mm-hmm. And key in moving from victim to victory and injustice, in my mind, is education, discipline, commitment respecting others, doing your very best, and being very honest to yourself. Nothing is so beneficial as the true knowledge of yourself. Um, what will, will, Finally, for you coaches out there, <laughs> the impossible thing to say, the impossible is what nobody can do until somebody does it. Why can't that somebody with you turn a kid's life around? Thank God. Thank God for sports. I don't know where I would have been. But I know this, man can fly faster and higher than any bird in the history of the world. We can also dig deeper and longer into the earth than any burrowing creature in the history of the world. 
The only thing, the only thing we haven't learned to do is walk on earth like children of God. When we finally do this, when we finally do it, we'll move forward and make the world a better place to live in for everybody. We can do it if we take immediate and massive action. The appalling silence and indifference of good people will not make the world a better place to live in. Stand up for what you know is right, and then and only then will we have a chance to find peace and happiness on earth. Thank you. Dale, thank you so much. And uh, thank you. Brandon, this was so important. This was so important to do. And uh, and again, as coaches, as you're starting your season now and getting, you know, you're in practice and getting ready. Remember, the biggest job you have is not how many games you win and stuff. Your notoriety is going to come from how your players oh, learn and feel oh, from boy. it. Hey, can I make a statement that a former LSU women basketball player made? Absolutely. Kia Howell has given me now permission. She wrote a letter about the tragedy. She was sick about the whole thing. And she wrote something interesting at the end with her tears and her anger and everything. And she, next day she wrote me, she said, you know, I saw, I thought the little boy would be a, would be a hulam. I saw the little boy that shot him. She said, as terrible as it is, I feel so sorry for him. Well, that little boy, who's now a murderer, who will probably spend the rest of his life in jail. He was orphaned. Uh, he was adopted by a preacher and his wife, the preacher met in the military. So when we pray, and I'm, I'm the last person to be a minister or a priest or a rabbi or anything else, but pray for his soul too. Mm-hmm. Pray for Absolutely. Sim's family and pray for his soul and his family. Um, because I don't think he was a vicious, mean human being. He committed a vicious, mean act, and a beautiful child was lost, and there's going to be a lot of tears. But I just hope and pray, Brennan, and I hope this this will help. I just hope that people listening to this today will do what you say about working with kids. Pick up another kid. I used to keep a walk-on every year. You know why? A lot of times those walk-ons didn't have father. Right. One of one of them I know now is a famous brain surgeon. Another one I know is a college coach. So mm, yeah, get wow. your superstar, but make room for somebody else. Good call. Good call. Well, you got a good program. You are the modern Larry Day King. <laughs> that shot my credibility. Oh God! But oh, hey, okay. you're my friend. I appreciate you always, and coaches you, around Brandon. the world do. Dale, you're the best. Thank you, brother. Uh, you never interrupted. Some some other people should learn that trait. Thanks, Brandon. Love you, man. Again, uh, I, I love to be enthusiastic when we do this because our podcast is so powerful. I know coaches around the world, um, you know, really like to, you know, hear them and stuff. But every one of you, unfortunately, someday are going to deal with a tragedy. And everyone's going to handle it in their own way. Uh, I didn't know how to handle this because it had never happened to me. Uh my prayers are with Will Wade, the coach of LSU, and his staff for handling things with their team this year. It's a very precious and sensitive time for those young people who had one of their friends taken from them just a week ago. So I pray for Will and his staff and uh, for everyone at LSU, but most of all, his great mom and dad, you know, Fade and Wade. Uh, and for everyone that was a teammate of uh, Wade's in high school at U High, 
or his college teammates. Again, our thoughts and prayers from coaching you are with you. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sarah.